Can you guys give your appreciation to our team for spending time with our kids and teaching and instructing them in the ways of the Lord? Thank you, guys. You can track down a Bible. Get with me in Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, we have Bibles in the book racks and the chairs in front of you, and if you were to pull one of those out, the book of Proverbs is on page 542, and that's where we're going to be. So if you want to track along that way, we'll also put passages up on the screen up here. This is uh, what we do week by week. We open the Word. We believe that God's voice is the most important voice, and so the opinions of man are, are um, just that, whereas the Word of God is the place that we can find the voice of God. And so we want that very badly. We're in Proverbs. We're doing a, a study, and it's going through the book of Proverbs, trying to figure out how to become a wise people. And the word wisdom is actually a, a word for skillful. And so what we're trying to do is think through, how could we become skillful at life? How could we live skillfully in the world that God has made? And how could we become a, a, a community, a church, that actually reflects wisdom in an age where there is so much foolishness and there is so much uncertainty. So that's what we're up to. I'm going to read the passage. We'll pray and then we'll get to work. We're in Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 8. It reads like this. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush into evil, they are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking right now as we've opened your word that you would speak to us. We're praying, God, that by your spirit, through your word, you would help us to know the way of wisdom. Would you, would you help us to hear your voice loud and clear, and would we be willing to respond with faith? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So wisdom's warning, why it matters, and wisdom's better offer. Those are the three things we're going to find here. They're not in order, so you'll have to track with me as we go through them. But the first thing I want to point out is wisdom's warning coming in verses 10 to 16. The father is saying to the son, do not go down this path. Do not go along with these individuals. This would be a foolish thing for you to do. Now, this is figurative. It, it's talking about a father and a son, uh, but it's, it's using kind of these figurative terms so that we could think through this is not just a one-off kind of thing. This is actually a way of life. And that's how it's described in verse 19. It's talking about a path. Do not go down this path or this way that is marked by sinfulness. So we're not really kind of wrestling with whether or not we should get, join a gang this week, right? That's the invitation here. Don't do that. Most of us aren't sitting around going, man, I, I woke up this morning. I'm going to church. I hope 
The sermon is on whether or not I should join a gang. Because um, that's what I'm wrestling with. That would be very helpful, Core. No, that's not the, the point here. That's, the, that's the, the, the way that this is being described, but it's really pointing at this way, this path, this thing that we all deal with. We, we all have to be warned from Father Wisdom not to go down a way that is actually going to lead to our destruction. And we're going to be enticed by that. So uh, it's a parental warning against this pursuit of ill-gotten gain. So let's look at some of the aspects of it. The first thing to note is that it is very enticing. Look at verse 10. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. This way of life that, that, that is being offered to us is actually quite attractive. If we play church and we try to make it sound like because we're Christians, we're immune to this sort of thing, we're foolish. If we try to say that sinful, the sinful way of life doesn't have any sway over us, we're, we're misinformed. The sinful way actually is quite enticing. It, it looks appealing. It, it usually entices us in a way that's specific to our particular inclination. So when, when the sinful way comes, our, comes to us, to, to our doorstep and says, come with us, we hear that and we're actually considering going with them. That's why the father is saying, listen, this is a big deal. This is, this is something that you need to be aware of and they're going to entice you and you need to respond differently. You need to be able to resist that temptation and, and, and be willing to wait for what God actually wants for you. Sin often offers us immediate gratification. Sin usually comes dressed in the clothing of, you will get what you want, and you will get it today. And that is very appealing to us. Faith, on the other hand, has the ability to be long-suffering, meaning we're hoping for something that we might not yet possess, but we know it's coming. Faith is the willingness to say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, even if the reward isn't immediate. Sin says, why wait? You can have it all right now. Faith says, trust God and do right. The second thing that makes this invitation so appealing is that it invites you into community. It, it invites you to be a part of a people. Look at verse 11. If they say, come along with us. What are they doing? They're inviting you to join them. And God made us as a people who are designed to be in community. It's one of the things that we're longing for. It's one of the innate desires that we have. We want to find a place to belong. We want to, we, we want to find a people that, that want us around. And sin is saying, join us, come with us. You'll have company, you'll have people with you. Look at verse 12, it says, let us. So the plural, join us and we'll, go, we'll get after this activity. Verse 13 says, we, you and I, we'll get this thing. Verse 14 says, cast, cast your lots with us. We'll share, we will, we'll all share in this loot. And what we find then is that sin invites us in this enticing way and it promises that we're going to have company when we do it. That we're going to have people alongside of us that we can relate to. We're actually going to feel quite at home here. Because sin wants us to be in that presence of those who are choosing to do opposite from what God wants you to do. In the New Testament, there's a saying, and it's recorded for us. It says, bad company corrupts good character. 
We're built for relationship, but we need to be a people who are wise enough to know not every relationship is beneficial to us. Not every association that we make is going to be helpful in our journey toward wisdom. In fact, there are some who are trying to pull us away into a community of poor choices. Ash and I, we were talking this week, and we were thinking about our kids going to college. And and Ash was asking me the question, you know, my kids are nine and seven, so this is very forward thinking, but she's like, if you could pick a university, if you could pick a college, do you have one in mind? And I was scratching my head. I'm like, honestly, I don't know at this, you know, like I, I can't think of one institution that I'm like, I would love my child to go there. And then we, we kept talking and she's like, man, I hope when they get to that point that they have at least one person, each of them has at least one person that's with them that's, that's a good influence, right? Like we don't want our kids to be in an environment where they're having to make some of these hard choices but they're doing it in absolute isolation. Everyone else is going in a direction, and they say, no, we want to pursue wisdom, so we're going to refrain from going with you, and they have to do that alone. We're praying, God, would you please give them at least one friend each that has wisdom, that's going to look at our children and say, let's not do that. Let's not go that direction. Let's not participate in this invitation to sin. So we need company because that's how God built us. We need relationships. The, the scary thing is often we gravitate to these relationships. Here's why. Because it's hard to find them even within the community of faith, right? A lot of times we are drawn to these relationships because they're easier. They, they invite us in with very low commitment. They say, you can have all that you're looking for and you don't have to get invested in these people you can actually do it with us and we'll have some fun. And we say, right on, sign us up. But that is foolish, and that's why the father is saying, be careful, my son. Do not go down their path. Do not join their community. Here's what happens. Look, look at verses 11 and 12. When you begin to go down this way, you become inhumane. You become ruthless. Look at this, verse 11. If they say, Come along with us. Let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. Let's go together and we will find innocent people and we will destroy them. Okay, listen, when you hear that, what's your inclination? No way, this, that's stupid. Like, I wouldn't do that. Why would I do that? That sounds crazy. Why would I go in this direction? Well, here's the thing. Sin makes you inhumane. You start to go in this direction and your moral compass starts to go haywire. And you start to, to justify your behaviors. And you start to, you're looking around at other people. They're doing the same thing. It must be okay. Sin begins to distort who you are. And you start making these choices that are actually when you're sober-minded and you're thinking about it, you're like, that is insane. I would never do that. But in the throes of sin, you're justifying it. You're excusing yourself from these behaviors as you're taking innocent blood, as you're doing harm to those who are harmless and those sorts of things. Somehow, you get into a place where you're behaving in a way that you yourself will say is reprehensible. Um... 
sin has the ability to distort who we are. Yesterday, we were doing a, a meeting with some leaders, and I actually had them do an assignment. You should have seen their faces. I said, hey, we're going to write down how you would destroy our church. They're like, what are you talking about, dude? Uh, and it's from a premarital exercise that I got from Russ Moore. He would get a couple in front of him, and he would say to them, okay, before I do your ceremony and before we move toward this wedding, I want you to write out how you would destroy your marriage. And most couples are like, dude, you're insane. Uh, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to help them unearth their temptations that are in their hearts and the sin patterns that they have that if unchecked and unrestrained would result in harm. And a, and a couple can sit there in front of a pastor and, and just be lovey-dovey, puppy love, like, I love this person. I never do any harm to this person. But then you get into marriage and you realize, whoa, there's some junk in me. There's some selfishness in me. There's some stuff in me that spills out and does great harm. You see, the thing is, when we start to get honest about our own temptations, so yesterday I'm, I'm writing this stuff out that I'm doing, and I go, whew, this sounds like me. I have the ability to do wicked and evil things. Why? Because I'm selfish. Because I'm selfish. Because I want certain things the way that I want them, and I, I want, uh, I'm, I'm selfish so I can deal with people in a way that is harmful. Sin is ruthless. But it is rewarding. Look at verse 13. It says, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. You come our way, you do our stuff, you, you stand to gain an awful lot. You will become very wealthy with all these things. Verse 14, cast lots with us, we will all share the loot. That's the appeal. We're, we're, we're going to go together, and we're going, to, we're going to have to make some pretty sketchy choices, but in the end, we're all going to be very wealthy and very happy. And so it's worth it, they would say. It's worth it. Follow us. Come our way. Do these things. And we begin to think, Okay, sounds good to me. So we make these poor choices out of a spirit of selfishness. And what we're doing then is we're, we're, we're being willing to disadvantage other people for our own sake. Bruce Waltke, uh, an Old Testament scholar, he wrote a commentary on Proverbs. It's a giant commentary. In his introduction, he shows the difference between the two kinds of people that Proverbs keeps bringing up. You've got the righteous person, and you've got the wicked person. You've got the wise person, and you've got the fool. And, he, and Proverbs, over and over again, is showing us the contrast between the two and going, you want to be, be wise. You want to be right. But there's another way to do life, and it is foolish, and it is stupid, and it does harm. And so Walke puts it like this. Righteousness is doing what is right in a social relationship as defined by God's standard of what right behavior is. Namely, depriving yourself for the sake of others. Depriving yourself for the benefit of the community. Then he goes on to describe the wicked. He says, if the righteous advantage the community, even at the expense of disadvantaging themselves, here's what the wicked do. The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging the community. The perverse act against the, they do perverse acts against the community for themselves. What it's saying is, the difference between the two, the person who's wise will say, I will make hard choices to bless other people. I will do things that might even disadvantage me, but I'm doing it for the sake and the benefit of other people. 
I'm going to live right. I'm going to do just activity. I'm going to live in accordance with God's will and his ways, and it might cost me something. The wicked, on the other hand, say, I don't care how this affects other people. I will do what I want to do for my own sake. I will make choices that stand to benefit me immediately, even if other people have to suffer on account of it. This way that's being painted for us, it doesn't sound so abstract anymore, does it? It sounds like something we struggle with every single day. Every choice that we're making, will I walk in wisdom even if it costs me, or will I selfishly pursue my own agenda for my own gain? Now we're in the realm of everything that we deal with in ordinary life. When you go to work this week, are you going to make choices that reflect your selfish intentions and a wicked way of life? Or are you going to make choices that reflect wisdom? Saying, I want to be a blessing. I want to be a benefit. I will disadvantage myself to see that happen for the community. When it comes to your relationships, when we think about our marriages and our friendships, are we willing to say, I will do what is best for this relationship. I'm going to do what's going to bless the other person, even if it costs me dearly, versus being selfish and saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, come what may. I don't give a rip. That's how a lot of marriages get into conflict and into problems. It's because we are unwilling to walk in the way of wisdom. We want things how we want things, and we want it immediately, and so we make all sorts of compromises, and we find ourselves being ruthless people, making incredibly poor choices that look like, figuratively speaking, we are lying in wait for innocent people to ambush them because we're willing to do whatever we want to get what we want. It's a dangerous way of life, but This is what we're being warned from. So the father says, verse 15, My son, do not go along with them. As enticing as it may be, do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush into evil, and they are swift to shed blood. So if verses 11 to 16 give us the warning from the father, then verses 17 to 19 explain the outcome. If you go down this way, if you go with these individuals, here's what you stand to experience. Here's why it matters. Here's why this warning matters so much. These people, even though they're promising all kinds of grandiose things for you, they are actually setting a trap for themselves. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, how useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Solomon's being very ironic here. He's saying, look, if you're trying to catch a bird and the bird's watching you, you're in broad daylight, you're setting the net out, this is for you, the bird goes, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to fly over there. What do you think? I am stupid. And And Solomon's saying, that's exactly what these people are doing. They're setting a net for themselves. My parents had a a wood-burning stove in the house, and birds would fly down the chimney into the stove, and then we'd have to open the door and try to get the bird out of the the house. And so, you know, there were times where we're like, let's make this fun. Like, it's four boys, so we're, you know, doing all kinds of random stuff, but, you know, we get, like, nets and stuff, and we're trying to corral this thing and catch it. Birds, they're not going to fly right into your net. I can tell you from experience. 
you have to open everything up. You have to just get all the you know, screens out and open doors and let the bird find its own way out. That's the way that the bird exits the home. If you have a net, that thing is not just going to fly right into it. That's the point that's being made here. These individuals are inviting you to do something, but what they're doing is so foolish. They're setting a net for themselves. They, they, are, they are catching themselves up in their own devices. They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Well, nonetheless, the, the way that's being presented here and the warning against the outcome of how this is going to play out in the long run, it's, it's still enticing. Um, when you look at uh, the world and you just do an eye test, right? That's a phrase that they use when, in sports. They'll look at an athlete and go, they passed the eye test. You're watching the game. You don't have to look at the, st- the stat line or you know, do a deep dive into anything. If you're watching the game, an athlete can pa- pass the eye test. If you just notice, they're affecting the game positively. When we do the eye test of the human experience, when we look at the world, often we come to the wrong conclusion. We look at the world and we begin to think, I could cut some corners here and I think it'd be okay. I could join people who are making poor choices and it would actually be to my benefit. The eye test is very misleading. I want to show it to you from Psalm 73. We'll put it up here uh, on the screen behind me. Psalm 73, the psalmist is wrestling with the thing that we've been talking about today. The psalmist feels enticed to join in the way of the sinner. And so the psalmist is talking about it and and is describing the the psychology of the experience. Here's what it was like for me. Let's look at it. Verse 3 of Psalm 73 starts like this. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I looked at what they had. That looks pretty nice. I envied it. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity and evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people will turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. Here's what's going on. There there are people who have a disregard for God, and it seems to be going just fine for them. In fact, better than just fine, they they appear to be experts in the field. And now people are coming to them as consultants. They're speaking all these things. Why don't you be like me? Why don't you do what I do? Why don't you take my course, and you could be successful too? And people are drinking that up. Like, yeah, your life looks amazing. You look very happy. You look prosperous and abundant. But look at verse 11. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. And they go on amassing wealth. In other words, the eye test of the human experience, often we look at the evil in the world and we go, hmm, looks like they're doing just fine. Maybe I should join them. In fact, it looks better to go that way. Following God is hard. Prolonging the gratification of of reward, that's hard. What if I just made some, some choices right now where I could begin to experience that this week or today even? So the psalmist is wrestling with that and comes to this conclusion. The psalmist is about ready to go. 
Sounds good to me, sign me up. But then he comes to his senses. Look at verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. I looked at the world, I looked at the wicked, amassing wealth, always free of care. I wanted that. Verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. That looked great, but then, aha, I realized there is a God, there is an accounting, and one day that God is going to make all things right. And so cutting corners right now might appear to be the fastest way to get what I want, but in the long run, it's not going to go well. That's what is being conveyed here in our passage. The father is saying, be careful, son, because if you go this way, it might appear that you're going to be rewarded and you'll have treasures and you'll have all these blessings coming to you, but the the truth of the matter is you are laying a net for your own destruction. You are going to be caught up in the judgment of God. So do not be fooled. So wisdom is better offer than comes in verses 8 and 9. It's at the front end of our passage. It's telling us that there's a better way to do life. Verse 8, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. This is, you know, figuratively speaking, but there is a role for parents to play in the achievement of wisdom. Kids, we are not born with wisdom. I wish we were but we are actually born pretty foolish. And thank God for good parents that help us to understand the way that the world works and that there is a God and there is a way to walk according to his will. So the father says, listen to my instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. You need to to hear this. That's what he's saying. Listen, just like they used to recite in that culture. They would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord our God. They would say this repeatedly to, to basically alert our hearts to say, there's a God, I better pay attention to him. Listen to this. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake. Do not neglect your mother's teaching and instruction. There's a way of wisdom. It would be in all of our best interest to pursue that to the best of our ability, to go after this teaching, to go after this wisdom, to pay attention to it. And here's what it'll do for us. Verse 9, they are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. In the ancient Near East, those were symbolic things that people would put on to express their power and prestige, their victory. They would wear a, a, you know, a crown of garland to, to indicate, I am a victor. I am winning at life. And the psalm, or in Proverbs now, we're being told that when you follow the way of wisdom, it's like being crowned with that garland of grace. It's like having a, a chain around your neck that is expressing that you are following God. You're you're being beautified. People who are following wisdom are becoming more beautiful people. That's what we want. That's the offer. If you will listen to God and his voice, if you will go in this way, people will begin to experience you as somebody who is a beautiful individual, not physically, but just in general. You you deal with the world differently. We were talking um, with the kids team, and, and Ash was out there, my wife, And she's a nurse, so we were talking through what it's like to look at the schedule. Her schedule changes every week. So she looks and she goes, okay, who am I working with? And we'll try to figure out, oh, what's that shift going to be like? I'm going to spend 12 plus hours with these people. What is that going to feel like? But then we were thinking through, what's it like on the other end, right? What's it like for her coworkers to look at the schedule and go, oh, I'm, I'm on today with Ash, 
What is the feeling there? And my assumption would be those people would be very excited, right? Like, oh, Ash is going to be working. She works really hard. She's such a nice individual. She cares deeply about this profession and the kids and all these different things. In other words, they would experience her, in my estimation, as a beautiful person to work with. Somebody that you think about and you go, oh, I want them to be alongside me as we go about our workday. I want that to be true, not just of my wife, but of all of us that are part of Park City. I want people to be thinking about you saying they are such beautiful humans that if they show up at the workplace, I'm excited about that because they have this crown of garland. They have this chain of grace around them. They have this beautiful way that they're dealing with the world, and I appreciate that. Even if I don't believe in God, I see that as valuable. That's what we're after. Wisdom offers us that to listen to the way of wisdom beautifies us. All right, one more step before we close. There's another place in the Bible where a son has to listen to the father. There's another place in the Bible where a son is enticed to cut corners and get power and prestige and status very quickly. It's Luke chapter 4. The son is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is in the desert wilderness, and the devil himself is tempting Jesus. And the devil is saying, do this. It'll be easy. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. I will give you all the status, all the wealth, all the power. And that son had to make a choice. Will I listen to the father and the way of wisdom? Will I do what is best for the community, even if it costs me dearly? Or will I take a shortcut and get immediate gratification. Thank God that Jesus was willing to do what was best for us. He listened to the Father's voice. He walked perfectly in the way of wisdom. It was not easy. You read the Gospels and you recognize he lived a hard life. He was rejected by friends. He was despised by religious leaders. He was politically hated. He was accused of doing things that he did not do. He was accused of doing things that were absolutely true. He was killed as the king of the Jews. They placed him on a cross, and they nailed him there, and he died in our place. What is he doing? He is fulfilling all righteousness. He is the wise individual who says, I will do what is best for the community, even if it costs me my life. And because of that, you and I can place our faith in him and receive forgiveness and salvation. We have the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. He was willing to do what was right for us. Let's trust him. Let's follow him. Let's learn to walk in his wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking that you would help us in these moments. Help us to think about how significant it is that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. We're grateful that he was willing to go to the cross to die in our place. And through doing that, we have the opportunity to receive from him forgiveness and grace and reconciliation. Not only that, we acknowledge that by that work, he can change us. He can make us beautiful people. So Lord, I pray for this church family here that you would help each and every one of us to walk in the way of wisdom in a way that is beautiful and compelling, that the world would see us and they would not look away and walk in a different direction, but they would gravitate to us because they see us as people who are trying to live according to the 
the will and the ways of God. So Lord, would you please help us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.